0: Welcome, everyone, to DJ Simulationistas. Sup? (laughs) Um, You're here with Janice Pelaganes.
1: Hey, Janice. Sup with you. And Dan
0: (laughs) Raymer. How are you, Dan?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How's your website going? Uh, I'm sorry, what?
0: How's your website going?
1: It's going really well, actually. Um, uh, You know, maybe uh,
0: you should tell our listeners about it.
1: Sure. Uh, uh, So, as you know, I've been kind of uh, uh, worked up, fixated, excited about the issue of simulation safety. So the notion that we do simulation, uh, it's wonderful. It's a great way to educate people. It's a great way to discover things about your system. It's, uh, you know, I love simulation. I've been doing it for 20 years every day because I love it. Uh, On the other hand, I've become aware of incidents where uh, not such good things have happened on account of the simulation. And in fact... Uh, when you think about it, dangerous things can happen on account of simulation. And I just, I just think it would be a, you know, terrible irony if we were to harm a patient or a participant in a simulation in a serious way, uh, in Mm -hmm. the name of patient safety or safety. Um, so I just think that that would be tragic and i'm on a campaign to try to do as much as possible to uh enlighten the simulation world to some of the dangers and some of the ways to mitigate those dangers mm-hmm. and so um uh, one of my colleagues a wonderful nurse from Newton wellesley hospital near boston and mullen uh uh came to me with the idea of us starting a foundation for simulation safety. Um, her sister is an attorney and helped us uh, do the paperwork to create a nonprofit uh, organization uh, called the Foundation for uh, Healthcare Simulation Safety. And we developed a website, which I've been crafting myself, which is sort of fun. Haven't done uh-huh. things like that in a long time. And uh, and on it we list um, some best practices. Uh, there's a page which lists incidents that we've been collecting from people uh, who uh, have had, you know, situations that have, you know, been unsafe or someone has gotten hurt uh, in the course mm-hmm. of doing simulation. And uh, we also have a page where we um, are promoting a standardized label to go on equipment and supplies uh, and, uh, and medications that says for human use only, um, or not, I for, human love not for human use, I'm sorry, not for human use, for education only, and uh, we've been trying to get people to adopt that standardized label.
0: Yeah, that's really important. And I think, you know, when we started the accreditation uh, program and went to sites, it was it was one of the first things we noticed when we did our pilot reviews um, was we went to a place that did in situ, um, and they used the, the same crash cards Or they, no, I'm sorry, they used simulated crash carts that were set aside for simulation, but so easily confused with real ones. And the medications they used Um, were old vials filled with saline and they did not have it labeled and somebody could easily put it in their pocket and go forward and use it on a real patient so that I'm so glad you guys have done these labels and you know I know everybody's trying to make their own labels it's just um getting everyone on the same page and yeah having Uh recognizable labels I think that's really great
1: you know, it's a funny thing, and I think it's part of human nature. Uh, it It's almost unthinkable that something bad would happen, as you described, that someone would put a medication in their pocket or that somehow something used in simulation would get confused with real practice. Yet, um, that's how accidents it happen. <laughs> and it has happened. It and- has
0: happened. You know, maybe you should tell them um, because I'm not sure everybody's heard about the incident in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So there
1: was so there was one incident that uh, is kind of the exemplar of something tragic that can occur. Uh, So there's uh, several companies that make commercial simulated medication products. And so they make medications and IVs that are intended for use in educational settings. And uh, uh, apparently, uh, these have been misused uh, a number of times. But the incident that you're referring to happened in New York State. Uh, Somehow, a hospital ordered um, more than one case of simulated IV fluid. And it wasn't the simulation program in that institution that ordered it. It was outpatient clinics. And so uh, it had something to do. I spoke to the FDA about this, and they couldn't tell me the exact details. But I described what I thought might have happened, and they said, yes, it was very much like that. Uh, And that is that uh, the, the saline, the simulated saline, appeared on their... Uh, ordering system and so when people went to order saline there are probably you know a hundred different packagings of uh, IV fluid and one of the lines was this simulated IV fluid and maybe it was cut off at the end or didn't say something clear enough but uh, some well-meaning person ordered some cases of it maybe it was less expensive than the real IV fluid I'm not sure in uh, anyways, these, these cases of IV v fluid got delivered to outpatient clinics and apparently in the FDA's investigation they found that 40 some odd patients, more than 40 patients received simulated IV fluid. So uh, these these simulated IV fluids do have a warning on them that it's for not for human use, but it's in very small lettering and so, Presumably, nurses set up these IVs and hooked them up to people. Reached into the case and saw what looked like IV fluid and hung it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so uh, a couple patients got very sick from it. Uh, there were at least two patients initially who were admitted to the ICU. Uh, One report uh, said that one of the patients had died. A later investigation of the whole incident makes that less clear, but in that later investigation, several patients were admitted to the ICU who received this fluid. Um, Some of them died, but maybe the link to the IV fluid wasn't as clear as, uh, uh, wasn't black and white, and so It was difficult to say that uh, the simulated IV fluid caused the septicemia that occurred. In any case, it's a bad thing that happened. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the company was ordered to change all of its labeling and so on. Uh, Our notion was that, you know, people don't always recognize labels. And as much as we'd like to think that labeling is an effective mitigation technique, it's a weak one. Uh, Mm -hmm. it would make it a little stronger if everyone used the same labeling and it would become recognizable like a stop sign Uh, you don't need to see a stop sign when you're driving to actually know it's a stop sign you can see it backwards you can see it uh, in a you know you know camouflage by a tree and you know it's a stop sign if we could Mm -hmm. come up with a label that would be similarly recognizable uh, it might help stop an incident like the one that occurred in New York, and yeah. so well so, you did. I yeah.
0: love the design.
1: So it, it definitely has a, uh it, it, you. Yeah, it has a nice symbol on it as well as wording, uh, mm-hmm. and the symbol is of a human with a with a X through it, uh, with a cross through it, saying not for human use. And so I think, you know, it could become a standard recognizable label. We, sure uh, so. Anne and sure I, so. Anne and I, uh, uh, not being experts in this, went to several companies to get someone to try to print this label and we were successful and got them, uh, printed in a laminated form, which is really nice because the, the laminated ones are waterproof. And, uh-huh. uh, so we're selling them for basically for cost on our website And so I think the best way to do it is to buy a roll of these labels and put them on all of the simulation equipment and supplies.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, really awesome. The other thing I love about your website, um, which you kind of mentioned, is there is no reporting way or mechanism for everyone to report all the things that are potentially unsafe to educators, learners, staff, um, in simulation. And, and, you know, just as working in, in a hospital when, when risk management cases are shared, it just makes you so much more um, conscious of your practice.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, as people have reported these things to me, my reaction is often, oh, my God, I never thought of that. Yeah, you know, I never imagined that that could happen. Uh, we all Now, have that, now that you mention it, it's <laughs> uh, it's certainly possible, and it's possible in my own setting. And so, I think learning about other people's incidents is really critical. So w- the yeah. way we've done it is we've uh, made it not a. It's not a like a. Uh, reporting database but we'll take any story anyone gives us and anonymize it so that the person and in the institution isn't uh, um, recognizable but um, all of the factors that led to this being a problem in simulation are there for one to read and so I would love it if people would just send me an email with their incident and I'm just happy to we can publish directly
0: them. on the website right
1: uh, not currently. No, um, not yeah. currently. Uh you can make it where you can. Well, I, I,
0: uh. With your review. So you would, you yeah. would review and publish.
1: Yeah, so that's the way I, I do it. You know, I take whatever someone gives me and I, I post it so that it's in oh the same, gosh. same format. I to give you a few, Dan. Yeah, please. Please just send uh, so, me an email.
0: You know, I really hope that the foundation evolves to be the reporting degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about with accreditation, part of, you know, first of all, thankfully that happened during the pilot phase where we realized we didn't have that as a standard. So we made labeling a standard, just making, if you're doing any kind of insight to, or any, if you're using any kind of simulation equipment, that it's clearly labeled. So I think that'll serve well for the people that are, you know, looking to be accredited. Um, the other thing is... Uh, you know, in accreditation, you get really intimate with organizations uh, or sim centers documentation, and they need to document when there are risks or any kind of safety um, issues. And and I see that as a reviewer. Yet it doesn't go public,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's confidential. So, um, but if we can get the whole field to start reporting. Because there are common themes around the safety issues that people are not, you know, super conscious about, especially because a lot of sim centers are new, that we need to be.
1: Yeah, I I, I I, totally understand what you're saying. I know when this first came up, when we first started getting uh, interested in simulation safety, Uh, we all sat around in our simulation center and uh, asked the question, can you remember any time where something happened, where someone got hurt or there was a near miss? And we realized that we had no recording of this. We had no documentation of it. And, uh, you know, within a half an hour, we were able to list about a dozen things that occurred that were, you know, that were unsafe. So yep. we, we once had And
0: untold, a, too.
1: Yes, and untold. So once we had a, uh, one of our um, uh, residents who was working with us participated as an actor in a simulation, and he stabbed himself with an EpiPen. No, pen. he was a participant. Oh, he, he was, was a participant. participant. That's right. Yeah. He, he stabbed himself with an EpiPen. And it was on ironic his on his finger. And in the joint of a finger which can actually be a serious matter Uh, he wound up going to the emergency room and he was totally fine and he he was really uh, it was really interesting to him because he his son actually has an allergy and he owns EpiPens and he's used them before but the one that we had was different than the one he was used to at home, and he held it backwards in his hand, and that's with and EpiPen. that's that's how he stabbed himself. And so we all yeah. thought this was really interesting, and took apart the EpiPen, and you know there was lots of uh, um, uh, interesting stuff around around it, um, but um, uh, you know it was a real a real incident but we had no documentation of it.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, as people come up with their policies and procedures to really think through a safety process, because there are lots of things that can go wrong. I mean, even from, um, you know, when I used to work as a chief operations officer, um, you try to save costs, and um, central line insertion kits are super expensive, so we would always reuse these kits. and. and someone got a needle stick from from the kit. And it's like, it's not exactly a clean needle because it's been on Man. the mannequin or on the TASH trainer numerous times. So how dirty is it? And, you Man. know, it, while there might not be bodily fluids on it, there's a high risk of infection. Yeah. And are we liable for that? You know, what is the process of sending them to the ED and, um, you know, do we follow the the regular typical hospital policy on needle stick injuries? So it's just people have to be really thoughtful on things that could go wrong. And, and I think this reporting mechanism, looking at themes of safety issues could help inform people's processes and policies.
1: Right, right. So one of the things that we did try to do in our simulation center, which I have to admit is not well developed at this point, is that we decided that what we should be doing is uh, what's called a failure modes effects analysis. So that's an engineering process and it's used in lots of industries, high risk industries, where uh, you, you sit around and you just kind of in a very open-ended way, try to think of all of the hazards in some process that you're doing and formally write them down and then write down a mitigation strategy for each of them. The idea being that at least for the things that you can think of, you have a plan in place to reduce the likelihood that they will happen. And so they do this in the you know space program and in the nuclear power industry. They and do also, it
0: in hospitals
1: and hospitals as well, although it's less well developed than in other um, you know more more engineering oriented industries. So I've tried to do similar things in hospitals, and people are just not used to doing it. And they put a lot of faith in the individual being careful. And and so it's kind of part of the culture of healthcare that, you know, we do a lot of dangerous things and the safety of this does, but from a systems point of view that's a very weak strategy. That if you can't engineer out the hazards and you're depending on thousands and thousands of people just being careful, um not you're gonna, accounting you're have,
0: for human factors.
1: Absolutely you're going to have accidents (laughs) if that's the approach and so the same thing is true in simulation and so for some of our courses we sat down and wrote down all of the things that we thought could happen in those courses that uh, perhaps we hadn't you know planned for or thought of and I thought it was a helpful exercise but it does take a lot of time and effort and so uh, we've not been able to sustain that very well.
0: Mhm. Well, you know, and and we at CMS we've adopted the phrase this is not a simulation to really help us in safety events. And um and I wrote that editorial for clinical simulation and nursing after the, the event at the um International Meeting for Simulation Healthcare, which mm-hmm. I'll talk a little bit about um, asking for the world to adopt that phrase, because, um, if you can recall, Dan, I think it was three years ago, right? When B9 Carney was giving that, Uh um, in the plenary session and somebody up front goes down and I run over there and they ask, uh, I think it was, uh, Michael Thropian says, okay, Jay, go get the AED. So I'm running down the hallway, the conference hallway, and I run into eight different people and I say, I need an AED. This is not simulation. And all eight people laughed at me. Uh And it wasn't until I got to one of the conference planners that I said, we need an AED in plenary. And, um, and I, you know, later on, and, and by the way, the guy was, the guy's fine. Um, later on, I had asked, uh, I'd asked her how she knew that I wasn't, it wasn't a simulation. And she just said, you know, well, I know you well, and I know you don't run. I know you don't run in heels. (laughs) So (laughs) I knew it was real. Right. So it's sad because this is what we do. We simulate. So if an event seems to go wrong, something happens, it may very well be a simulation and I think everyone really needs to adopt this phrase to keep our entire field safe. I mean, all it takes really is one all incident. Right. And,
1: and where- an important piece of that is that you have to tell the learners that that is the safety phrase. And you have to convince uh-huh. them that you're not going to kid around about it. Because if you right. joke around using that phrase, then they don't know what to believe when something really happens. As strange Uh as it may be, uh, in the simulations I've done in the past 20 years, there were five or six serious incidents that occurred during simulation. I hope I didn't cause them, but we had someone who had a serious dysrhythmia, and they were out of work for a long time afterwards. I have had someone have a seizure uh, uh, once there was a fire in the building. And uh, people in each of those instances didn't know what to believe. They weren't sure if it was a simulation and they were part of it or if it was a real happening amongst one of their colleagues. And, you know, the, the, the use of deception, as we've talked about before, is pretty widespread mm-hmm. in simulation. Yes. People don't know what yeah. to believe. So I totally agree that that's one of the safety best practices uh oh, that you we should need. put that on
0: the website it,
1: it's in there actually uh of oh, the
0: phrase uh-huh. it's not a yeah
1: option? yeah oh, okay. um
0: let's talk that's the last thing i want to talk about with your website which i think was is just brilliant um the uh what are you calling it the creed or the
1: uh uh the um uh the pledge uh, the
0: pledge The Will pledge. You go so, over that yeah. a little bit so
1: uh so at first it started out uh, uh and said we need you know the 10 commandments of doing simulations safely and that was a little too religious for me so uh so we came up with the, the the pledge and so it's a listing of i think it's about 10 it turned out to be about a, about 10 best practices and so one of them is one of the things you just talked about having awesome. this is not a simulation as a safe word um uh and there you know there are nine others uh which we think are best practices in making sure that simulation happens safely in general and so we made it a pledge because we wanted people to endorse the foundation for simulation healthcare safety uh, um and and uh and the idea was that they would agree to do the best practices as outlined in the in the pledge um, I have to say the pledge is a working document and if people have ideas that they want to contribute to it things that they think are important or might be best practices we're happy to um, edit and modify and improve the, um, these, these ideas as they evolve. Awesome. I know Anne, uh, uh, um, spent her own money and laminated the pledge. And if you order, yeah, if you order a set of (laughs) labels from us, uh, I stick the laminated copy in the box and you get your own pledge to hang up in your control room.
0: All right. Well, everyone, Sim safely.
1: Sim, sim happily and sim safely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks. Bye. Bye. This has been DJ Simulationistas. What's So With Dan Raymer and Janice Pelaganis. Thanks so much for listening. Check back next week for another episode. See you next time.